2: now
4: Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is one of the most disappointing movies I've seen in a long time based on the trailer, based on what this movie theoretically was supposed to do, and based on what we actually got. Now, a lot of people on the internet.com will tell you that the reason why the Marvel is no good is because the Marvel is trying to replace all of their heroes with their lady counterparts. However, I actually think fundamentally there's bigger problems than that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before I get into that, this video is not sponsored. I don't got any more sponsors for the month, so what we're going to do is thank the website members who sign up over at ActualJusticeWarrior.com slash join, and then get into the movie review.
2: You're an interesting man, Scott Lane. You're an Avenger.
4: You have a so ant-man for lack of a better term is a bit of an enigma in the mcu you have paul rudd starring as the titular character he's actually wonderful most people really like him however each and every one of his movies never seem to meet the threshold especially after the first ant-man movie and this in my opinion is largely due to the fact that the first one had heavy influence from edgar wright and Peyton Reed, his replacement 80% of the way through, has not been able to elevate the franchise in any of the subsequent sequels. Now, a lot of people talk about how they're trying to center the female characters. In the second movie, they try to center the Wasp. In this movie, they try to center Ant-Man's daughter because they're going to do little kid Avengers. And that definitely plays a role in the movie. And the fact that Evangeline Lilly is not good as this character and has no chemistry with Paul Rudd, Also hurts the movie, but overall, there's a lack of creativity in the Ant-Man franchise that is sorely missing due to the fact that they cut out Edgar Wright. I mean, one of the things that I could not help but notice is the fact that this movie takes place entirely within the quantum realm, and they show you some cool things of going into it and all that, but after a little while, it just becomes an area where there's some humanoids, there's some alien-looking people, there's some living trees, basically, but not like Groot-style living planted trees, but it's kind of lame, and when you're watching the movie, you realize that there's just not all that much creativity behind it. I mean, the shots in the first Ant-Man movie, where he goes into the quantum realm, likely heavily influenced by Edgar Wright had more to it than what was presented to us in this movie, which could have been any generic alien world. Not to mention, we never get any idea of what the pin Particles actually do in the quantum realm, considering the fact that you have to shrink down to be subatomic in order to get there. So, everything works perfectly fine. There's no kink, there's no hitch, there's nothing that goes wrong. And these are some of the things that my brain was thinking about While they're in, essentially, this microverse, which they call the quantum realm because they don't want to say microverse in these movies for some reason. They just want to say quantum, 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 because have you heard about quantum computers and quantum? It doesn't sound scientific. Now, look, it is, in fact, true that Michelle Pfeiffer's character, the original Wasp, gets a lot of play in this movie. And a lot of people have said That Michelle Pfeiffer's character, or Cassie, who's Ant-Man's daughter, are essentially the main character, and Ant-Man is kind of there, which is true to a certain extent. However, it did not need to be this way. One of the most frustrating things about this movie is that it's not terrible, but it's not good. It's middle of the road, and for most of it, it's boring. Like, they don't even say Kang's name, and we all know Kang is the villain. They've introduced him in Loki... They've said one of the Avengers movie is called Kang whatever, and there's not saying his name throughout the whole course of it. It's like a con situation in Star Trek Into Darkness where everyone in the audience knows who this person is, and then they say it for the camera. But when they say it, anybody who didn't actually know who Kang was isn't going to be moved by his name. So it's essentially a setup and a reveal for nothing, and this takes over half the movie or well into half the movie, and I'm just not about that life. Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. And that's fundamentally an issue because you're introducing the next giant threat, the next thing that the Avengers are going to have to fight at the level of Thanos, even though it's technically beyond Thanos, but whatever, who cares? And honestly, it was just underwhelming. The actor did an okay job. He was totally fine got nothing against the actor, but this is the first time we're seeing this character on screen, and he's fighting with a disengaged Ant-Man, and it's just underwhelming, and his main enemy, the person he hates the most... ...is the original Wasp, who's Michelle Pfeiffer, and I like Michelle Pfeiffer in anything, but she's like an old lady. So he's like, oh, I'm this universe-battling thing, and I'm against this old lady, Ree. Like, I'm sorry, that's not gonna do it for me. I don't care about the name Kang, I don't care about the original Wasp, I don't care about Bill Murray doing a cameo, I don't care about Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas, any of these people on their own are not going to make this movie work... But what does make this movie work is, you know, something related to morality, a struggle, something a main character has to overcome, and this movie didn't have that there, which is strange because the trailer and parts of the movie clearly indicated that maybe somebody in the writer's room at one point thought about having some kind of idea some kind of theme throughout the course of this movie there's a scene early on where cassie who's like an activist by the way very obnoxious in san francisco trying to stop the police from clearing out the homeless which they never do in san francisco and one of the reasons why is because of annoying jerk activists like this who are super rich and think it's okay for homeless people to ruin our cities but set that aside for a second And she essentially tells Paul Rudd, who's kind of coasting off the fame of being one of the people who fought back against Thanos that just because something isn't happening to you, that doesn't mean it's not happening. That doesn't mean that you should do nothing. Now, this seemed like a theme in the movie. This seemed like an underlying philosophy, like with great power comes great responsibility, that I thought, because I'm watching a movie, and this was act one of the movie, would carry through and would be a lesson that Paul Rudd would learn as the character Ant-Man, and that would tie into the conclusion somewhere. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Unfortunately, that is not presented to us at all, despite the fact that Kang's storyline perfectly aligns with the theme that was put forward by this kid who's disappointed in her father not embracing his role as an Avenger for anything more than fame. It's almost like they had a character arc, but nobody knew what a character arc actually meant, so they just decided to go through the movie and they're like, whatever. The girl says some random things and Paul Rudd doesn't really react to anything at all. And one of the most disappointing parts about this is that in the trailer, they made it seem like Kang was offering a deal to Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. Essentially, he was going to offer him the ability to spend time in the years that he missed with his daughter when she was growing up and be there to nurture her and be the person that she was. And considering Paul Rudd is always established as somebody who cares about his daughter, not the most creative motivation, this seemed like it would be appealing to him. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We could help each other with
2: that. Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want.
4: What's that? Time. But unfortunately, the trailer lied to us and not in a good way because it turns out this was a deal offered to Janet Van Dyme in order to spend time with Hope Van Dyme. And she didn't take it because this was offered in flashback and it really had no impact on the story going forward. It was just to establish that Kang was a bad guy. You know Kang's a bad guy because every character tells you Kang's a really bad guy.
3: He can rewrite existence and shatter timelines. You cannot trust him.
2: I don't care who
1: this guy is. I just lost so much.
4: He can give us a second chance and this is where i got really frustrated with the movie this is where i got really annoyed with the movie because there's a scene in flashback where michelle pfeiffer's character touches the thing that essentially links up to kang's brain when she's helping him in the past and she realizes that kang intends to wipe out all these different universes in the multiverse and that motivates her to destroy his power source And then she ends up escaping out of the quantum realm like she did, I think, in Ant-Man 2. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Don't really care. Not that interested. But you understand that that's like a concluded arc for Janet Van Dyme way back when. And now all of the characters in the quantum realm are reminding you that that is a concluded arc rather than that being an arc in the movie specifically for the main character specifically ant-man what should have happened in this movie and you guys will know that this is 100 percent true as i presented to you is that paul rudd
2: Order now
1: fighterflare.com
4: Should have linked up with this guy's mind. He should have seen all the destruction of the multiple universes in the whole multiverse and all of that. And he should have understood what Kang's underlying philosophy was, because he's not destroying all the universes in the multiverse just to kill a bunch of people. The reason he's doing it, which was explained in Loki and could have been explained in a shorter condensed version here is because when you let the main timeline branch out over and over and over again, it ends up creating all these different versions, specifically of Kang, and that will ultimately lead to the death of the entire universe. And, since Paul Rudd, absolutely loves his daughter what he should have showed him is a glimpse of the future where cassie his daughter dies in the resulting chaos from the multiverses being allowed to branch out now this is really important because essentially the way i want this movie to work since they want to have their own side story with hope and janet and hank pym and cassie Is that Paul Rudd's character would actually be working to help Kang because he understands that what Kang is trying to do fundamentally, even if you disagree with the methods, is save the universe that he lives in, which is the universe that his daughter lives in. So what he's trying to do is save his. And remember... Paul Rudd's character, Scott Lang, is supposed to have a criminal background. He's supposed to be somebody, and I know they undercut this from the very first movie, who takes the easy way out. So since we're doing something that is known as a character arc, as some people in the literary world call it, what Paul Rudd fundamentally wanted to do was save the universe with his daughter in it because that's all he cares about. And to him... He's saving his whole entire universe, which, by the way, is technically all the universes, because it's either, as the options were presented to him by Kang, let the multiverse go out of control and wipe out everyone, or let one universe survive, and that can fade off the multiverse. And if you let the whole multiversal war, whatever, go through, his daughter is going to be a casualty of that war, and he's gonna see her die. Like, he's gonna witness it happening. Instead of that, in this movie, we essentially get... Get him threatening to kill the daughter in front of him, and him being like, "Yeah, I'll do whatever you want," a.k.a. a significantly weaker motivation that you knew fundamentally he was going to turn and try to flip on Kang at the end now as you might be able to tell i don't like passive characters i don't like weaker motivations what i like is moral question marks and characters being put in a bind and them having to test their principles against the thing that they care about the most so i think this would have been a better movie on top of that since they're already trying to shift paul rudd's ant-man to the side fundamentally that's like the strategy of the mcu at this moment I think this would have been a great opportunity to kill off his character in an epic way. There's a scene near the end of the movie where they open a portal back to the regular world so all these people can escape the quantum realm, and Ant-Man pushes his daughter through, but he pushes his daughter through, and there's no, like, dramatic tension to it or anything like that. What they should have done is have him succeed. This guy fires up his stupid whatever engine, and yes, I don't care what it's called— And then Paul Rudd's like, okay, this will lead to me being happy with my daughter. However, his daughter, who used to see him as his hero, sees him as a villain, is disgusted with him. This is all my fault. You may not want her to watch this. We had a deal. And Paul Rudd can't seem to convince her of that. And then you get the line that repeats from the first part of the movie, where she says, just because it's not happening to you, doesn't mean you should do nothing. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care about it. And this could not be in more true situation, considering we're dealing with other universes that they didn't even know that existed. But she still expects him to be the hero and defend those lives in those other universes. It is not on him to play God and sacrifice all of them for their universe and specifically for her. That's not the world that she wants to live in. So then when you actually have your end fight scene, it's over the portal, it's Ant-Man who shoves his daughter out of the way then, versus Kang, single combat, and this is how he's going to eventually fall. Like, we're going to lose Ant-Man here because he's trying to redeem himself for trying to take the easy way out earlier. You
2: thought you could win. I don't have to win.
4: All of the elements of this are easily visible in the trailer, you have a true moral bind being put forward for Scott Lang, you have Scott Lang deciding to side with Kang and all of that. Unfortunately, when you watch the movie, you find out that they decided to go with much weaker motivations, and it appears like the people who cut this trailer together understood what this movie should have been, rather than Peyton Reed and the team over at Marvel. I think it would be absolutely amazing and tragic to see Paul Rudd feebly fight against Kang, somebody who he helped in power, end up losing his life. But the portal closes and it seems like you have a solid victory. However, unfortunately, because he has the pin particles on him or whatever reason in your Ed credit scene, Kang is able to escape out of the quantum verse, and essentially he did sow the seeds from his own demise. Paul Rudd went out like a hero, but it's tragic in that he still couldn't save the day and he still couldn't prevent what's coming. Also, in the alternative, because I really like Paul Rudd and it would actually upset me to kill him off, I think it would have been a great thing for Hank Pym to put on the Ant-Man suit, something that he's refused to do for years and years and years. Obviously, you would remind people of this earlier on in the movie, and he would come in and he would rescue Scott Lang in the end, and he would make the sacrifice, but the thing is... You need a sacrifice in a movie like this. If you're going to set up the ultimate villain, you have to have the ultimate villain, not just everybody's told that he's the ultimate villain, but actually do something horrific. And having Modoc in the movie and it being the guy who was Yellowjacket from the first Ant-Man movie is just not going to cut it. And again, if you already establish early on in the movie a philosophical tagline for the movie, you need to use it in the third act of the movie. I don't
0: have to win. We both just have
4: to lose. I genuinely legitimately hate this line in the trailer every time I hear it after watching the movie. I hate the fact that there's no emotional weight behind it. I hate the fact that when Paul Rudd it looks him in the face and he says, "I don't have to win. I just have to make sure we both lose." that there isn't some kind of dramatic sacrifice in that scene. It's just a whatever battle. Paul Rudd figures out some stupid thing to do that's like Michelle Pfeiffer did it before, so he's just copying her strategy, and then he just leaves, and it's no problem. It's like, wow, he has a happy family, and then the movie kind of ends in a quick joke about what's coming, but it doesn't really have any tie-in, and if you're going to have Kang appear in a movie, be the main villain of a movie, before you actually do the Avengers versus Kang, whatever's coming next, then it should have some stakes, it should have some weight. And losing an Avenger, to me, is that level. And again, if you don't want to kill off Scott Lang's Ant-Man, if you're not confident enough in Hope Van Dyme and Cassie taking the lead of this franchise, even though it seems like that's what they want to do, then you should just kill off Michael Delgos' Hank Pym because I think He's due for some level of sacrifice, and it kind of makes sense because they lost Janet Vattendyne for all those years in the quantum realm, and now you could lose Hank Pym, who refused to put on the suit post that situation because he never got over the loss, and even after she came back, he never got over the trauma, and this is something that you can establish in the first portion of the movie, especially when the first portion of the movie is over an hour of them not saying the name Kang and like, ha look at the quantum realm, which actually isn't all that creative. You could use that time in order to do something. I mean, to me... Having Hank Pym stick his arms in some tube things and fly a spaceship for the whole movie? Not really all that interesting. Not something that I find engaging. This would be way more interesting. Overall, I will give Ant-Man and the Wasp into the Quantumverse, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum of Solace, Ant-Man and Wasp quantum times four, or whatever, one and a half buckets of popcorn. Now, is that one and a half out of five, one and a half out of ten? Absolutely no idea. The reason I'm ranking it one and a half buckets is because when I eat that much popcorn, some of it breaks up into razor-sharp shards and then embeds in my teeth, and it really bothers me for many days afterwards and after watching this movie that's exactly how i'm going to feel because i'm now rewriting the movie in my head over and over again to make it work because i think paul rudd should have had some level of drama in his storyline some level of self-sacrifice but he consistently gets undercut like cassie doing the giant man thing in her ant-man suit which i guess is giant teen and honestly don't care about it but hey those are just my thoughts. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. If you like the video, show me a like. Subscribe for more content. Follow me on social media. Support me with this support more like. Until next time.
2: Order now.